The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. It is stocks versus inflation as nearly record price hikes and soaring borrowing costs hit your money. But stocks trying to make a comeback today. At the Fed, two central bank chiefs speaking out, calling for more aggressive action to tame these prices. A twist in the Elon Musk Twitter saga as he faces new legal action over the media company. Trying to keep the power on in Boston, a first on CNBC Conversation. The CEO of the company bringing natural gas to New England in a very interesting way. And your morning RBI is back and ask the smartest people in the room, you, what's the real reason for inflation? And it's an answer, DC is not going to like. It is Wednesday, April 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. Let's jump right in and kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money. Right now, a little bit better looking than the last couple of days. Stock futures, they are higher. NASDAQ futures up the most, just under 1%. NASDAQ and Dow and S&P futures, all higher. Now, on Tuesday, stocks did initially rally after that red-hot inflation data, but then all three indexes lost steam. They finished the day slightly down. It's higher rates and China lockdowns hitting stocks. That looks like it may turn around today. In the bond market, at the back of that CPI number, the benchmark 10-year yield is indeed higher at 2.77%, and now even more back above that 2% yield. So the inversion no longer inverted, and in fact, kind of going in the other direction. And in the oil market, oil back above $101 per barrel here, even higher in Europe, as China does ease some COVID lockdown rules. And remember, it is China's lockdowns that have been driving oil prices down the last couple of weeks. We'll get more, by the way, with Eunice Yun in a moment. And in crypto, Bitcoin is higher as well. It is back above 40000 So a lot of green on your screen on this Wednesday. Well, there is your market set up here. So what is going on in Europe and other parts of the world? The good news is we can find out. We can go to Juliana Tottlebaum in our <laughs> London newsroom because she knows what's going on around the world. Good morning, Juliana. <laughs> Brian, good morning. Well, I'll do my best to let you in on what I do know about what's happening here in Europe. We've got a mixed start to the trading session, a little bit of green, a little bit of red on the board. We've got some earnings in focus today and also, of course, European investors digesting that inflation print out of the U.S. yesterday. So the CAC 40 over in France are performing um, pretty well this morning, up about 0.2 percent. We've got LVMH shares outperforming this morning. The luxury giant reported some solid numbers after the close yesterday. Still some uncertainty with regard 
regards to the China outlook, obviously the COVID situation, a key factor there, and that was something that LVMH flagged. FTSE 100 here in the UK trading about 0.2% higher. We got some fresh inflation data here in the UK today, which shows that inflation continued to accelerate from February to March. The Swiss market trading a little bit below the flat line. It's the German market that is underperforming this morning, down about 0.3%. From a sector perspective, this is the picture. Uh, at the top of the board, we've got oil and gas up about 1.1% alongside basic resources. On the downside, retail down 1.6%. Travel and leisure also underperforming down about 1.4%. Brian. All right. Literally split the difference. Green on top, red on the bottom. Juliana, thank you very much. <laughs> All right, now to some of this morning's top corporate stories, including Etsy CEO speaking out as the East Commerce Company faces a strike by some of its sellers. Bertha Coombs is here with that and more this morning. Bertha, good morning. Hey, good morning, Brian. Etsy CEO is standing by his strategy amid backlash from sellers over a new fee increase. Speaking at a Wall Street Journal event, Josh Silverman says, while the recent decision to raise the commission Etsy charges on each transaction from 5% to 6.5% may be unpopular with sellers, it will help them in the long run. Silverman says the revenue from the hike will be used to attract new buyers and ultimately help compete against Amazon and others. ARK Invest Kathy Wood speaking as well. She says she is lowering her stake in Twitter amid the recent drama around management and its board. Speaking with CNBC on Tuesday, Wood revealed ARK had been cutting back on Twitter since Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO in November. She added that Twitter will face management distractions with or without Elon Musk's presence following his decision this week not to join the company's board. And the St. Louis Fed president says it's fantasy to think the central bank can tackle inflation in a sufficient manner with modest increases of interest rates. James Bullard making those comments in a new interview with the Financial Times, Bullard telling the FT the Fed needs to be more aggressive in its efforts to combat inflation, calling for rates to rise a point to a point where they actively curtail growth. And Brian Bullard adds that the Fed's credibility is on the line here if it does not take appropriate action. And certainly there are a lot of folks, Brian, who are saying that they're already behind the curve. I would go one step further, Bertha. I would, I would love any journalist to ask Fed chiefs, what did you do to cause inflation? They always ask what they're going to do to fight inflation. How about what did you do to actually create it? But I guess that's a different topic. Bertha, thank you. That's a whole different right, conversation. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Yeah, we're going to fight what we helped create. Interesting. All right, let's stick now with inflation as markets brace for another read following yesterday's consumer price index at a more than 40-year high. Today comes out what manufacturers, not consumers, are facing. It is the release of the producer price index, the PPI. And it's also expected to show a jump. But there is some growing belief within the markets that maybe, just maybe, inflation may have started to peak. And if so, what does that mean for your money? Let's bring in now our friend Malcolm Etheridge. He is the executive VP at CIC Wealth. Malcolm, good to have you back on the program. Do you think inflation maybe is peaking right now that this is the max? 
Yeah, that one's pretty tough. I saw everybody celebrating when we saw eight and a half percent was the number uh, and, and folks, you know, being quick to say, like, this has to be the the top and we have to be at a point where uh, we can say that we've gotten to to where inflation is going to get to. And so if we just hang in there, hang tight, you know, things are going to get better soon. I think it's tough to say that simply because a lot of the same factors that attributed to this uh, peak inflation, if you will, uh, have not quite abated just yet. So even if eight and a half persists for a while, it's not like saying, you know, we got to the top and we're going to start climbing back down tomorrow morning. If we hang out at this eight and a half, eight percent for quite some time, it's still going to hurt. Yeah, I think it's already hurting, and I would challenge any of our viewers to ask them if anything they buy has only risen 8% over the last year. They'd probably laugh if we said that, (laughs) Malcolm. I mean, so the numbers are probably downplaying exactly what we are facing. Uh, But there's a difference between the economy and the stock market. And you think that even with inflation, even with inverted yield curves, even with the possibility of a recession, that there are companies that are going to prosper in part because the way We have changed the way we shop and the way we do business. Companies like warehouse distributor Prologis. Yeah, so it's really interesting. A couple, uh, a, a couple of companies in the industrial space. We're we're overweight commercial real estate. I should say that out the gate to to let people know that I am a little biased here. But with a particular interest in distribution centers, right? The supply chains uh, having the issues that they're having means that industrial landlords have a much better chance of negotiating inflation-adjusted rent increases than owners of other commercial properties such as malls or offices, right? And so in the U- in the U.S., warehouse rents increase by 11% last year, and Prologis expects to do about the same thing here in 2022. And the market for industrial uh, landlords, especially uh, distribution centers, is so strong that those guys are doing everything that they can to avoid offering long-term leases uh, to their tenants that uh, cap their upside. So we just see it as a a very strong sector, despite what happens uh, with the rest of the economy, with the inversion in the yield curve and all those sorts of things. Those rents are going to keep going up because these distribution, these companies who have distribution and fulfillment centers want to get them as close to our houses as they possibly can, because Amazon has convinced us that one or two days is all we should expect uh, for a, a package to arrive at our front door. I, one day, Malcolm, I can't wait a day. I want it today. I want to buy it in the morning and have it on my porch in the afternoon. By the way, Amazon actually does that. It's pretty amazing. And maybe that's one reason that's also a stock that you like. Amazon also recently breaking out some advertising numbers for the first time. And holy mackerel. I mean, if you every time you think Amazon is big, it, it shows it's bigger than you think it is. Yeah, so Amazon deciding to break out their ad revenue uh, in, in last year's numbers, I think it was like $30 billion or so that they, they broke out and showed that they earned and some additional CapEx numbers that, that were impressive as well. But just for context, $30 billion in ad revenue is more than YouTube does. Uh, and Amazon doesn't have nearly the same headwinds with con- Congress over, you know, advertising um, uh, uh, antitrust issues with Congress that, that Google does. And so we just see that as another opportunity for Amazon to be increasing its bigness. Uh, and we also are hoping that 
uh, Andy Jassy deciding to start breaking out some of these numbers could be seen as a prelude to them actually breaking out the Amazon Web Services uh, numbers eventually, and, and maybe it leads to some sort of a spinoff, which we imagine could be extremely accretive yeah. for shareholders, since AWS's numbers are like one and a half trillion dollars alone, which is almost as much as the retail business does on its own, or the value of the retail business on yeah. its own. Be, be amazing. Got certain regulators who've maybe you know talked about breaking up Amazon. Heck, Amazon we want to break up itself and make shareholders even more money. Maybe it becomes two or even three different companies. Malcolm Etheridge, CIC Wealth. Malcolm, great to have you on. Thanks for getting up early. We'll see you soon. Take care. All right, folks, we are just getting started on this busy Wednesday. And when we come back, a story you will not hear anywhere else about why American manufacturers and farmers are furious with some shipping companies on what they say is some sketchy business going on at the ports. Plus, officials in China vowing punishment for lockdown violators in Shanghai as residents struggle just to eat in China's biggest city. We are live on the ground with more. Plus, the company bringing power to Boston in a unique way. Is it ready to go public? The CEO of Accelerate Energy exclusively ahead. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. The situation with lockdowns in Shanghai, China, growing more dire by the day. Many people without food, children being taken from their parents to COVID isolation camps, and household pets even being put down on the street. And now some residents trying to push back, but the Communist Party threatening even more punishment. Yunishun joining us now from Beijing with where Shanghai stands. Yunus, is there any sign that some of these very tough lockdowns are easing up at all? Not significant signs, Brian. Uh, right now, the Shanghai police um, have designated the following as crimes. Uh, so these are criminal offenses. Leaving home in a high-risk area, refusing to take a COVID test, and posting what the police would deem to be fake information about the lockdowns. And this comes after the cyber watchdog yesterday nationwide had warned that anyone who's posting or reposting information or videos about the COVID lockdowns that the authorities deem as illegal is committing a crime. Um, this threat of punishment comes as the uh, caseload in Shanghai hits a record high. So this is for the daily infections. And as state media 
has cited today President Xi Jinping as saying that he backs the Beijing uh, zero COVID approach. In fact, uh, he's quoted as saying that zero COVID is the best plan for Shanghai, that China can achieve a dynamic zero COVID, which means getting as close to zero as possible, and that his administration prioritizes people and life first. However, as you well know, there's been a big cost to livelihoods, uh, Brian, on the economy, and we saw that reflected in the March trade data. The imports uh, really missed surprise drop because of the slowing demand. This is the first decline that we've seen since August of 2020. The numbers are so bizarre. And I posted some of these to my Twitter the other day, Eunice, where most experts here in America would agree that case counts are not a metric you want to follow. I mean, we do, but they're not the main metric. Things like hospitalizations and outcomes are the key metric. I saw numbers from Shanghai Mm -hmm. that they had something like 25,000 new cases the other day, but only over 1,000 were symptomatic. So in other words, you know, 95% of the cases were asymptomatic, people being tested and probably surprised to learn that they had COVID. Is there anybody there talking about or pushing back on this idea that asymptomatic cases are going to go on forever, that there's a maybe these lockdowns will never end? Not uh, very vocal people. I mean, there are some epidemiologists who've raised it in the past, but uh, currently the the chorus is mainly that uh, China is going to stick with zero COVID. In fact, um, we heard about some more, a pilot program that's coming up that su- suggested that China could allow for shorter quarantines in eight cities, which includes Shanghai, from 14 days to 10 days, that this pilot scheme would go on for a month. But the main reason is because they want to manage the costs and then um, the shortage that they're seeing in quarantine beds. So not necessarily that there's an easing going on. Uh, Brian, one more thing I just want to bring up. People are surviving and I want to pull up a, a, a black market bartering system that's actually developing in Shanghai. If you have a can of Coke, you can actually buy yourself five eggs, two AAA batteries, five rolls of toilet paper or three servings of vegetables. So... At least there's some business going on. We're, we're going, I mean, I, Eunice, you're a lot stronger than I am to, to, to kind of smile through it. And, and God forbid, if it comes to Beijing, uh, it's almost like a like a wartime bartering system at this point. Right. I mean, there's real concern that people don't have enough food. Yeah, I mean, those and those fears have come to Beijing. I mean, people are very tense here. They're tense around the country. We are definitely seeing, um, as we've discussed before, um, hoarding, stockpiling. Um, people are nervous about the new, this new regulation about refusing to take a COVID test because if this is a crime, uh, you know, this this is a serious matter. And it's even though it's in Shanghai right now. You know, everybody's watching to see what happens there and if these regulations are going to broaden out to the rest of the country. Yeah. Well, 95 percent of cases asymptomatic. I mean, if they keep doing that, who knows what could happen with the lockdowns? Because people are walking around not even knowing that they have COVID and they shut down an entire building. Eunice Yoon, it's a terrifying situation and I hope it does not come to Beijing. Eunice, thank you very much. Just an incredible story, folks. All right. Still on deck. Elon Musk's abandoned bid to join Twitter's board taking a new turn with the Tesla CEO now facing a new lawsuit. We're going to have that coming up. Stock futures, they are higher. Oil 
back above 100 a barrel. And we're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Now to a story you will not see anywhere else. Since the beginning of the pandemic, American farmers have filed complaints to federal maritime officials saying that some shipping companies have been opting to transport empty containers back to China instead of filling them up with our products and then shipping them out. The Federal Maritime Commission recently announcing it is auditing these trade practices. And Congress is currently working to revamp legislation to prohibit what the FMC describes as unreasonable export rejections. CNBC's Lorianne LaRocco first broke the story last year and is back with new and exclusive data to break down the story and to some of the trade issues with each ocean character or a carrier, rather. Lorianne, uh, truly an incredible story and one that has ticked off, by the way, a lot of American farmers. Why are we seeing this imbalance? Why are empty containers being shipped anywhere? Because they're more valuable. It's really a business decision, Brian, by the ocean carriers. Uh, Check out this, uh, the chart from Fredos from China to the West Coast. One single container is in upwards of $15,000 to $16,000. On the flip side, a U.S. export container, carriers are only getting $1,000. So because of the congestion, these ocean carriers need to get the empties back as fast as possible so they can then fill them up with the more expensive trade route. That's incredible. I mean, I want to know who the biggest losers are. And I'm going to presume, and Lorianne, you and I have talked about it, that it's got to be agriculture. Because unlike a bottle of whiskey, which maybe grows better over time, things like soybeans do not. They rot. I mean, I got to imagine that farmers are the ones that are getting crushed the most here. Yeah, unfortunately, they are the biggest loser. And the Agricultural Transport Coalition has told me for the last two years that they've had instances of spoilage on the dock. And then on the flip side, it's taking so long for these containers to get back to China. China, Chinese uh, customers can actually reject the product. And so the bottom line is if the U.S. farmer cannot sell their product, that means they can't buy the John Deere's and they can't go in the community and spend money to stimulate the U.S. economy. Is there one company or companies that is maybe more egregious at doing this or is it literally every major shipper doing it to your point simply because they can make more money and they really don't care about the American farmer? 
Well, honestly, Brian, we, we broke it out. And based on L.A. data, uh, the, the two biggest offenders are the Chinese state-owned carriers, OOCL, and its parent company, Costco. They have the most disparity when you're looking at the two. OOCL has 31.1 percent decrease in loaded exports and a whopping 104.1 percent increase in empty exports out of the port of Los Angeles. Costco line, they have an increase of 4 percent in loaded containers versus a 104 percent increase in empties. And it goes beyond there. Swiss family Aponte owned MSC had 64 and a half percent decrease in loaded's and a 68 percent increase in in uh, in empties. And then French based CMA CGM, 44 and a half percent increase in exports, but one hundred and twenty one point six percent increase in empties. Is this, I mean, first off, you know, Congress is hauling oil company CEOs that don't even produce gasoline before Congress to talk about gasoline. Maybe they want to look at some of these companies. That aside, Lorianne, I've been to the port of Charleston. I've been to the East Coast ports, Houston. Is this primarily a, a West Coast port issue like an L.A. or a Long Beach? It, exactly. Uh, when, when I looked at all the trade and I looked at all the, the ports in the United States, the West Coast ports are indeed seeing less loaded U.S. exports leaving versus the East Coast. And even though that we've seen some increase in some of the ports on the East Coast, it doesn't compensate to fill the bucket, so to speak. And Long Beach is seeing just as bad uh, data. For example, OOCL, again, 3.2% decrease in the loaded, and then they've seen an increase mm. in 31% of the empties. And Hyundai, they are also seeing a, a decrease in the loaded by almost 18 yeah. percent and an 8 percent increase in empty. So it's it's really it's it's really very startling. It's a, and our viewers are like, well, it's really wonky. It's not. If you're a farmer in Indiana who's used to just getting an empty box that you can throw your stuff in, suddenly now it's a problem or the prices are out of control. It goes to the inflation story that everybody's talking about. Lorianne LaRocco, thanks for bringing the story to our attention. It continues. Stay on it, and we'll bring you back on, Lorianne. Thank you very much. All right, speaking of ships coming up, Accelerate Energy CEO Stephen Kobos is here with how his LNG company is bringing more power to New England. Oh, and by the way, is also ready to go public. Worldwide Exchange is back with that in a moment. Stocks looking to stop the skid as more Fed chiefs say they need to get more aggressive to tame sky-high prices. Futures, though, shaking it off. They're higher. Elon Musk versus Twitter taking a new turn as he faces a new lawsuit over his stake in the company. And what's a billionaire to do Why not even the super-rich are able to avoid inflation? Robert Frank with the growing sticker shock over super-high-end cars. It's happening on this Wednesday, April 13th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. It is exactly 5.30, right on the nose here on the East Coast, and here's how the markets and your money look right now, and they're looking a little better than they did to end the day yesterday. They are in the green. Stock futures, they are higher across the board. NASDAQ futures up just about a percent. Dow futures up 174 as well, so a little bit of a better morning following the decline in that turn that we saw on Tuesday. All right, we're going to get more of the markets and your money in just a moment, as we always do. But right now, to the story captivating corporate America, the growing fight between Elon Musk and Twitter, and some potential new legal problems for Musk. 
Bertha Coombs is back with more on that and some other big headlines that are happening right now. Bertha, good morning. Good morning again, Brian. Former Twitter shareholders are suing Musk over his stake in the social media company. The class action lawsuit, the former shareholders say they missed out on the recent run up in its stock price because the Tesla CEO waited too long to disclose his investment in Twitter. They add that the delayed disclosure let Musk buy more Twitter shares at lower prices while defrauding them into selling at artificially deflated prices. U.S. securities law requires investors to disclose within 10 days when they have acquired at least 5% of a company, which in Musk's case would have been back on March 24th, but news of his stake only broke last week. Walmart is tapping PayPal's chief financial officer as its next CFO. John Rainey will take over for longtime Walmart CFO Brett Biggs in early June. Rainey's addition comes as Walmart looks to find new revenue options, including expanding its third-party marketplace and ramping up its advertising business. And Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin says the central bank needs to move up interest rates rapidly in a bid to tackle record inflation. Barkin's set to deliver those remarks in a speech later today. In it, he will also call for further rate action if initial steps do not tamp down elevated prices. Brian Barkin adds that he's not necessarily on board with the belief by other Fed leaders that inflation will begin to fade once pandemic-related constraints on labor and materials start to subside. I mean, people are not going to get paid less and they're not going to pay less for rent once inflation subsides with other things. Yeah. I mean, that shortage of housing is maybe a problem we have not talked enough about. Something like, you know, a few million more units need to be built. Yeah. And to your point, once you give somebody a raise, hard to take that back, if not impossible. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. All right. Well, if you live in New England like Bertha used to do, you probably got sticker shock on your electric bill this winter. Wholesale electricity prices soared to some of the highest levels ever as the region strained to produce enough power. It would have been a lot worse, though, without a little-known part of the energy equation. Liquefied natural gas imports into Boston. They are done offshore via that, an offshore floating ship known as a FIT, or Floating Integrated Terminal. Accelerate Energy owns that terminal and others like it around the world. The company is going public today through an IPO. Accelerate pricing its stock at 24 each, the top of the expected range, giving an evaluation of roughly $2.5 billion. Accelerate will list on the NYSE under the ticker EE. Ahead of that, CEO Stephen Kobos is with us. And first on CNBC, and if you're getting up nice and early on what's going to be a long day, but hopefully a very happy day for you and your employees and your shareholders, Stephen, so we appreciate it. Um, as our viewers know or social media followers know, I've been banging on this electricity story in New England and other parts of the world for months, and there were literally parts of the year where New England was burning wood and dung, that's not a joke, to make power. How bad would it have been if LNG and you guys were not there? Brian, first, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. It's an exciting day for Accelerate Energy. It's critical to get energy security into all of these markets. And as you say, we are a global company. We have operations and floating terminals from Bangladesh to Brazil. We were delivering gas 
into Boston and New England in Jan, Feb, and we were glad to be part of the solution. Yeah, and tell us in sort of layman's terms, Stephen, what you do. I, I understand it, it's ships and LNG, but I, you know, I don't want to say floating regasification unit, although I just did. So explain to our <laughs> viewers exactly how your ships operate. What do they do? Yeah, these floating storage regasification units, FSRUs, they're just, think of them as floating import terminals, Brian, and they receive transfers of LNG from delivering uh, conventional vessels, and you simply warm up something that's very cold and send it ashore as to high-pressure gas. And what we've been doing for nearly 20 years is connecting LNG supply to folks who don't have it or need it. And these ships can be moved around the world. You've got some in Latin America. You've got some in Israel, obviously, off the coast of Boston. Do they just sit there? How long are the contracts, Stephen? If somebody says, we want you to come in, we, need, we, we can't build an onshore terminal, or your, yours is more cost effective, how long are your contracts? How long do the ships last? Uh, useful life of those vessels is about 40 years. We're really proud of that fleet. And it's just a great alternative for getting energy security into a country. Um, it's better speed of execution than land-based terminals. They're more affordable than land-based terminals. And so you can really quickly get LNG to a market who doesn't have LNG or who needs more LNG. And all that does for energy security uh, and power, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I'm thinking about Germany. Germany obviously is coming to grips with maybe some of the policy mistakes that they have made over the last 20 years. Obviously, the war, uh, Putin's war in Ukraine has caused them to rethink some things. And they've talked about bringing in things like ship, ships like that, these regasification ships, as a, as a nearer-term solution. Uh, maybe you can't tell us, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Stephen. Have you been called by the government of Germany? We can't speak... Uh, to specifics, Brian, but I can tell you, Europe and the EU in general can certainly use uh, a number of FSRU import terminals. They need a quick solution. They need a quick alternative. And these vessels can deliver a lot of gas. I and mean, we have one vessel that's delivering four and a half million tons uh, each year. That's more than 1% of global LNG production. So they're fast. They can deliver a lot of energy quickly. And those are great combinations. I'm going to make a wild stab, though, Stephen, uh, on a couple of points here. Just, you know, just 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 freelance in here as a, as a morning news anchor. Uh, your ships are expensive to build, is my guess. You probably don't have a number of them just sitting around waiting to go to business. So if a company or a country were to call you, how quickly could you get a ship? Let's say let's imagine a company. I'm just OK. Germany. Let's imagine Germany called you. You don't have to confirm that. How quickly could you get a ship to Germany? Do you have a ship to go to Germany or some other nation who may want it? In general, we try to maintain some flexible tonnage. The great thing about FSRU import projects is speed of execution. You know, I think the phenomenon in Europe, Brian, is going to be a fairly uh, intermediate term solution. You'll probably see a couple of FSRE terminals up and running this year. 
uh, this winter, but it's going to be a longer-term uh, phenomenon as they seek to wean themselves from dependence on Russian gas, for sure. Well, it's fascinating. I think the engineering is just a marvel. And, and at some point, Stephen, maybe we can get on one of these ships and show our viewers how they operate, because I think the technology is just the engineering skill is just tremendous. Stephen Kobos, going public today, EE the ticker. Best to you, your team, your shareholders, stockholders. Stephen, thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck today. All right, coming up, your morning RBI. And this one is all about you and what all of you think the real cause of inflation is and maybe a little good news around higher prices. Stick around. Time now to get random but interesting, shall we? Because economically, it is the hot topic from Wall Street to Washington. Inflation is out of control, coming in with an over 8% jump from last year. And if you buy anything these days, you know that kind of price increase probably seems pretty low. I mean, has anything you buy really gone up just 8% for the last year? All right, whatever. Well, there's a lot of finger pointing going on about exactly what or who is to blame, whether it's COVID, government spending, Putin... But we wanted to know, again, what you think, not what we think, but what you think. So we reran a poll we had asked you last month about what the primary reason for this inflation. And primary is key because all the answers to our poll certainly play some kind of role. But we wanted to know from you what you think the main reason is. And it's not even close. 61% of you said that government spending, which I do note includes Federal Reserve policies, they are a part of the government is the main reason for price increases. It causes too much money to chase too few assets. And we have fewer things to buy because of COVID and lockdown supply chain problems, which about 30% of you said is the main reason. By the way, almost no one believed it is either the war or businesses price gouging, which ironically is kind of the main PR push by parts of DC right now, but you're clearly not buying it. And why would you? Inflation started to rocket higher back in February of last year, a year before the war began. By the way, we ran the same poll on LinkedIn, and the replies were nearly about the exact same, same percentages to these answers. Anyway, there is some good news in all these inflation woes. The price of used cars appears to finally be coming down. Look at the widely watched Mannheim Auto Auction Index. After soaring for over a year, I mean, it's hard to see. Put on your bifocals and look at that chart. It is starting to turn just a little bit. The far right, doing that little hook down. I mean, soaring, right? About a year ago, just took off. But there's a little hook there on your far right that is just a slight turn down. So maybe there are some signs of hope that inflation, at least in the used car market, which has gone nuts has peaked for whatever the reason. We'll wait and find out, but maybe I want to leave you with a little hook of good news. Random but expensive. All right, let's stick now with inflation because it's hitting everywhere. In fact, even that new Ferrari you may have your eye on, not immune to red-hot price hikes. Robert Frank joining us now with how higher prices are not just, Robert, for the Mannheim Used Auto Auction Index, but also about that McLaren I've had my eye on. Yeah, that McLaren, that Lambo, just about everything at the top. Just too much money chasing too few supercars. 
Lamborghini yesterday launching a new supercar. It's called the Technica. Price tag $240,000, but dealers saying it's already sold out or certainly will be sold out this week. Buyers are already paying six figures to avoid the year-long waiting list for other Lambos. Now, the wait time for the Lamborghini SUV, that's called the Urus. It's now 12 months or more. Those who want to pay up or want to have that car sooner are paying up to $100,000 above the sticker price of $225,000. Used Lambos are now going for one and a half times the new sticker prices. Rolls-Royce SUV, that's called the Cullinan, that will cost you an extra $85,000 over the $350,000 sticker price if you want to move up on that waiting list. And Brian, you like McLaren's. Well, McLaren right now getting an extra 50 grand. So that's kind of an extra car just to get one of its speed tails ahead of schedule. Now, the manufacturers, of course, they don't control the price. They say they're doing the best they can to police the dealers. But demand right now just far outstripping the supply. We have, uh, let's say, no real uh, tools uh, to, to, let's say, act against the oversticker pricing. But when we talk to our um, partners, our dealers, uh, we always uh, are very clear. Now, some say Porsche dealers are getting an extra 50 grand or more just to place an order for the new 911 Turbo S, which retails for more than $200,000. And Brian, there's no sign that the dealer markups are slowing, even though the supercar makers are producing as many or more cars as they did last year. Very few supply issues for them. They say orders for March actually accelerated. And adding to Lambo's supply issue, of course, those 85 cars, Lamborghinis that wound up at the bottom of the ocean with the sinking of that Felicity Ace cargo ship last month. But Brian, you know, even though we may see a little bit of a dip in the Mannheim index with used car prices, there's just too much money chasing too few Lambos right now. McLarens, Porsche, Ferrari, all of them. I got so much. First off, the sinking of that ship. When I saw the ship, I'm like, really? That's the ship you're going to put these supercars on? That's the the boat you pick? Anyway, that aside, (laughs) everybody's finger pointing and blaming. So I want to be clear. Like, and by the way, no one's, I got no beef with a dealer or a car salesman making any money because if you're rolling in for a Lambo or a new Porsche 911, no one's feeling sorry for you. Is it the dealers that are printing the money right now? Yeah, I mean, the dealers are getting an extra, you know, $100,000 for a Lamborghini Urus if you want to move up the wait list. Now, if you just place a regular order, you just go to the dealer and say, look, I'm going to place an order. I'm willing to wait the year or 16 months, whatever it's going to be. You're not getting you're not paying much above the sticker price. It's those people that, you know, they they just cashed in their crypto yesterday in Miami and they come in and they say, I want a Urus or I want a Uricon right now. And I'm willing to pay for, let's say, another customer that canceled their order that, that freed up another car. That's where the dealers are able to sort of speculate and get that extra cash. But, yeah, you know, you you make the money while you can because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with supply chain issues and who's who knows what's going to happen yeah. with the recession or demand next year. And I don't think anybody's ever going to accuse car salespeople of, you know, like making too much money. It's a hell of a tough business and they're making their money while they yeah. can. And if somebody wants to throw down a couple That's 10 right. grand to jump the line, God bless them. You know, yep. 
Things are yep. good. Let's enjoy things being good while we can. Robert Frank, exactly. new captain of the Felicity Ace. Robert, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, on deck. Invest, investors gearing up for earnings. Oh, and higher interest rates. So what do you do right now, given everything that's going on? Odyssey Capital's Jason Snipe is here to let you know. And all April, we are celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here is Junior Achievement USA President and CEO Jack Kosey. Kosey. At Junior Achievement, we believe that all schools should be teaching young people about money and savings at very early ages, and it builds up. Like most other subjects students take in school, you don't all of a sudden advance to a master class without having the underlying pinnings of knowledge. We feel strongly that young people need to be exposed at a very early age about managing money and all the things that go into budgeting and finance. All right, welcome back. Let's get more on the markets and your money, because even with sky-high prices, Putin's war, and rising interest rates, your next guest remains optimistic, at least about some parts of the stock market. Let's bring in Jason Snipe, Principal and Chief Investment Officer at Odyssey Capital Advisors, CBC contributor. Jason, good morning. Good to have you back on. Are there parts of the equity market that are sort of inflation-proof, for lack of a better term? Yeah, it's a great question, Sully. Obviously, you know, inflation has been in is is in stark view here with CPI numbers uh, that we saw yesterday, which are a little bit firmer uh, than expected. But I think the the major takeaway was core was a little lighter than expected, which is led by used car sales uh, that have come down a little bit, you know, close to four percent month over month. So. Obviously, you guys have been reporting on that all morning. Now we're looking at a very high base, you know, so we got to keep it in perspective. I mean, used car sales prices have surged way north of 30 percent over the last year. But if we are moving in the right direction on the other end, uh, this is very positive. You know, I think this is positive going forward. And maybe the market could do some of the work here, you know, even looking at shipping costs that have come down slightly, you know, over, over the last couple of weeks. So I, th- I think these are some positive uh, pieces for us to take do do note of uh, as we move forward from a market perspective. Well, inflation may peak, Jason, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go down. I mean, let's say it stays at eight percent for three months. You could say, well, it didn't go any higher. Therefore, it, you know, quote, peaked, but it's still really doggone high. It appears the bond market has kind of done the work for the Federal Reserve on inflation, has it not? I mean, these interest rate increases in bonds, that's the bond market jumping the Fed, I think. What do you think? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And obviously, we, we've seen spikes in the two-year. We, we, we see, obviously, the 10-year uh, approaching 2.8% yesterday. So obviously, the bond market has done a lot of the work. And the Fed, you know, the, I think the conversation around the Fed uh, being behind the curve. I mean, that's an old story. I think most would say that they are behind the curve and they have to front load this story. You know, for the 50 basis point hike in May is is definitely priced into the market. But let's say supply chains do continue to ease. And to your point, CPI and, and inflationary numbers do moderate some. You know, I think going yeah. forward, maybe the Fed doesn't have to do as much work as we've all been talking about, you know, over the last couple quarters. You know, even with COVID hopefully winding down and going away, it always kind of maybe be with us, according to experts. But you know what I'm saying, Jason, 
Uh, we realized that we had a lot of health care problems before COVID. We're going to have a lot more after COVID, obviously. A lot of concerns about uh, obesity and tens of millions of people gaining weight, cancer rates, whatever. Is health care maybe the place to be even in an incredibly inflationary environment? Because that's something that is not price sensitive. I mean, if you need health care, you're going to get health care. 100 percent, Sully. I really like health care in this space. I've liked it all year, even close to the, the end of last year, I think. Just the return of preventative care, elective surgery, to your point, Sully, and just COVID uh, not being such a huge part of the narrative going forward. Also, with a very tight labor market, um, you know, I think preventative care will, will work well. Companies like UNH, uh, United Healthcare, I think will will stand to prosper going forward. So I, I like these healthcare names too. All right, Jason Snipe, I appreciate it. Jason, good to have you back on. Thank you very much. Healthcare, folks, we had a lot of problems before, and we're going to have a lot of problems certainly after that have nothing to do or at least maybe related directly to COVID. All right, we'll see you tomorrow morning on Worldwide Exchange. That's it for us, a 23-hour break. Squawk Box, the gang, picking it up next. Have a great Wednesday. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.